This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, joined by the lovely Brie Tucker. Why, hello, hello, everybody. How are you? We have got such an important episode for you today because I notice, I mean, I do it myself. I notice it in my daughter. As women, we're extremely self-critical. Do you see it in yourself, Brie? Oh, we were just talking about this earlier, about <laughs> negative self-talk. And you know that is something that I struggle with quite a bit. I try to catch myself, but if you know somebody that's like Brie, that's a chronic, I'm sorry, that takes, <laughs> that, that takes ownership of the world's problems, yes. then they might have a problem with not being like nice self-talk. <laughs> the self-talk, and it goes beyond self-talk. Yeah. What we're talking about today is self-compassion, and it was revolutionized and started by Dr. Kristen Neff, who was one of our podcast guests. Oh, she's been on the list. She was on the list that you gave me before we started the podcast. Yes. The I'm like, she was Kristen on the Neff. original. Yes. So it, this yes. is a long time coming episode, people. We teach yeah. her work in our balance program. It has changed my own life using a self-compassion practice and my own mental health. Dr. Kristen Neff, she's a researcher who founded the field of self-compassion study, and she's written several books on it, including Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself, and Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. And we hope you enjoy our interview with Kristen. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. 
Welcome, Dr. Neff, to the podcast. I am personally super excited to have you on here because I've read both of your books. We teach your self-compassion practices in our balance program. So it is really such an honor. So welcome. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I love talking with parents and moms in particular. So it's great. So I'm a mom, I have a 14-year-old daughter and I have a 10-year-old son. And I was talking with her about how excited I was to interview you. And we were talking about self-compassion and she had a great question. And I'm like, that's a good question. And I am going to ask Dr. Neff. She wanted to know what's the difference between self-love and self-compassion? Is there a difference? Yeah, I mean, there's overlap, obviously. So I define self-compassion as having three components. There's, There's kindness and warmth. But there's also mindfulness, which is the ability to see things clearly, to pay attention to what's happening, to not distort them or or shove them under the rug, and also a sense of common humanity, right? So in other words, the difference between compassion and pity is other people. So compassion is like everyone struggles, everyone's imperfect. And I'm all for self-love. The slight problem is you might say that a narcissist has self-love. So what's the difference, right? So with the narcissist, it's all about me. And the narcissist is not going to admit that they're imperfect and they have flaws. So compassion, also also love is almost uniquely positive. Compassion, the word passion in the Latin means to suffer. So it's how are we with the difficulties? How are we with our mistakes, our feelings of inadequacy, our difficult times, the challenges in our life? And can we be with them remembering that we're human, that all people are imperfect, that everyone struggles? Yes, some more than others, of course, but nonetheless, that's what makes us human is the fact that we're imperfect. And so self-love is, you know, I think if you're self-compassionate, you do love yourself, but it's based on your humanity, not on the fact that you're special and above average, for instance. And the other big difference is that it's not contingent. It's unconditional self-love. A lot of self-love is contingent. You know, I love myself. When I look a certain way or when I succeed or, you know, if I, if I make yeah. enough money or people like me, it's, it's kind of yeah. like self-esteem that way. Self-esteem is basically a judgment of worth and it's often conditional. So at least the way I've defined it, self-compassion is unconditional. The moment you're born, right, you, you don't have to like go to graduate school to be worthy of compassion. You, you're, you're worthy of compassion just because you're a human being struggling the best you can moment by moment. So that's basically, I would say the difference. So I love the integration of the passion, meaning suffering thing, because that is something that I've really noticed in the self-compassion practice, this notice that you are suffering and you are hurting. And just the other day, my daughter was being really hard on herself and like, oh, I didn't pay attention. Oh, I didn't do this. And this is a constant thing we have. And I come up to her and I'm like, okay, you're hurting right now. You're in pain. She's like, no, I'm not, mom. I'm just dumb. <laughs> and it's uh-huh. such a, no, that's so hard to hear. But I don't think it's uncommon. And I said that to myself before I found your work. Could you lead yeah. people exactly through what the steps of self-compassion are? Yeah, well, so that's actually why we start with mindfulness, because a mindfulness is the ability mm-hmm. to be with what's happening mm-hmm. as opposed to resisting it, either making it want it to go away or sometimes we resist it by like, okay, I really do have control. It's just that I'm not smart enough. And if I were to have smart enough, I would be able to control everything. So mindfulness is kind of yeah. the clear recognition that, first of all, the, these things happen and we are in total control. We can do our best. Of course, it's not like we stop trying, but we aren't in total control. 
So my son, I raised him to have self-compassion. Now he's autistic, but nonetheless, he's pretty high functioning. And he used to tell me when he was a teenager, don't give me that self-compassion stuff, mommy. I don't want to accept the pain. He didn't want to accept the reality that he was hurting. He wanted to fix it immediately. He's like, is there a shortcut? And I was like, well, good luck with that one. I wish there was, but there isn't. Yeah, let me know when you find exactly. it. And by the way, compassion isn't everything. Also, there's celebration, there's appreciation of the good things. But in particular, compassion means how are you with the pain and the suffering and the hurt? And Because that's where we get into trouble. It's easier to be with the good stuff. It's hard to be with that feeling I've made a mistake or I've got grief or I've got fear. We want to suppress it, make it go away. So we need the support of our own warmth. And that's where the kindness comes in and the sense of connectedness. Normally, it's not logical, but normally we feel like everyone else in the world is living a normal, perfect life, and it's just me who screwed up, or it's just me who's going through this, and that makes it so much worse. First of all, it's not true. That's basic. Right. (laughs) But it makes it harder. We feel like we're all alone, and we feel disempowered. So that's why I really teach the three components together. So you said, what are the steps of it? Basically, you need to start with mindfulness, because... If you aren't aware that you're having a hard time, you don't even know you need compassion. It'd be like a friend who called you up and said, hey, I really need to talk. I'm having a hard time. Oh, I'm too busy to talk to you. So you got to take your own phone call. And that's mindfulness, basically. You have to know that you're suffering. It's so interesting. With the mindfulness aspect, I was talking with a new friend this weekend and she had recently left a, a religion. But she says that in her religion, the common advice when you were struggling with something is to just put it on your shelf, just put it on your shelf and forget about it. And it goes so contrary to actually noticing the pain and what you're Mm -hmm. going through. How do you do that? Is there a book that tells you how to stuff your feelings away and make sure that they sit on the shelf and and don't come back? Here's what we know in psychology. We know a lot about this. You can compartmentalize. And sometimes you need to, like if you're a doctor, there are times you need to compartmentalize. But first of all, um, it comes back to haunt you eventually. This, what we, what this research shows, the more you resist it, the more you think about it because it takes energy. It's, emotions arise and they do their dance and they pass away. And when you put it on the shelf, it's never leaving that shelf and it's stuck in your body and it will come out in other ways when you least expect it, including oh, yeah. physically. Oh, yeah. She said a common thing amongst people who have left that religion is they ask each other, so when did your shelf break? Yes. Um, because it all can crash <gasps> really? down. Okay, yeah. and because it's still there. So mm-hmm. mindfulness. Okay, yeah. this is happening. It hurts, but it doesn't mean that we we won't try to do our best to change things in the future. Mm-hmm. We have limited control, but of course we take steps to make things better. But right now, it's here. It's like you know, social injustice. We can pretend it's not there, but we aren't going to fix yeah. it unless we first acknowledge it exists. First, you acknowledge it, you right. validate it, and then you work towards changing it. Same with our own challenges and problems. So first is mindfulness. um, And then you can do either one of these next, but I usually go to common humanity for me personally, just remembering that I'm not alone, Mm -hmm. you know, because there's nothing wrong with me for feeling this way. There's nothing wrong with me for experiencing this. This is part of life. Many people experience this. And when we do that again, that's basically just to help us feel less isolated. And we feel more empowered when we remember that Other people have gotten through this. You know, it's not just me. And then the kindness. And then kindness can be brought in um, through a lot of ways. A physical touch is a really effective way to bring kindness, partly because we know this as mothers, right? 
we the reason the way we communicate care to our babies before they learn to talk is through touch. They can feel it. And mm-hmm. so believe it or not, research shows when you put your own hands on your heart or your face, you lower your cortisol levels, your your body responds because it's it's built by evolution to do so. It calms down. You feel more supported physically. And then you can say words. You can just think, what would I say to someone I really cared about, a friend or you know, a family member who I really cared about? What would I say to them in this situation? And usually if you ask yourself that question, you would never speak to a loved one the way you speak to yourself. Mm-hmm. No yeah. way. Oh, true. No way. They wouldn't be and, like friends anymore. And you would know them. What if you told your friend you're so stupid? Is that really going to help them? No, it's going right. to just make them feel depressed and it's not going to help at all. And yet we think somehow it's helpful with ourselves. It's not totally logical. And there is, you know, to give ourselves a break, there's an evolutionary reason for this. It's because when there's, some, okay. when there's a problem, we feel threatened. Yeah. So you're going to fight, mm-hmm. flight, or freeze. That's just basic evolutionary instinct. And of course, when we're the problem, we turn that inward. We fight ourselves. We beat ourselves up. Yeah. Thinking we're going to get ourselves in line. We flee into a sense of shame and isolation. Or we freeze and we get stuck. And we go over and over in our heads. With your friend, you aren't so immediately threatened. So you can tap into the other system. And this is related to parenting, which is the care system. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that we have built into our bodies the ability to care means that we can tap into that system for self-care. It's not the first, first instinct is fight, flight, or freeze, but we have this other system called the care system. We just have to do a little hack. You got to give yourself permission to say, actually, I'm choosing to treat myself the would my child that I love or my friend. And, and, and as parents, some, some people say, well, I'm, I'm just going to let myself off the hook. I'll mm-hmm. never get anything done. Well, that would be like spoiling your child. You can do it, but is it good for your child if you said, don't worry, you don't need to go to school, eat all the sugar you want, you know, that's not caring. Sometimes as a parent, we need to draw boundaries. We need to say, hey, there are rules. It's not healthy. First and foremost, I want you to be healthy. And the same thing with ourselves. So we actually were more motivated to make changes, but not because we're inadequate as we are, just because we care about ourselves, just our kids. We want them to be happy. We want them to reach their full potential. We We do the same thing with us. With the bottom line, hopefully with our kids, the bottom line is unconditional acceptance. And I also want you to work hard to achieve your goals. With us, bottom line is unconditional self-acceptance. And we still want to work hard to achieve our goals. Again, not to prove ourselves, but simply because we care. More effective. Research shows it's more effective than self-criticism. Yes. And I love that. And we are going to talk about too, how this applies to parenting and how it's so important to give yourself self-compassion to be a more connected and more present parent. And we're going to do that right when we come back. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Hey guys, Brie here. And let me tell you, April is a killer time of the year for me because it is crazy allergy season. I swear, everything that is in bloom looks fantastic and beautiful, but it makes it so I can't breathe. I am literally coughing, sneezing, rubbing my nose. I look like Rudolph half of the spring. It's terrible. But luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies like I do, we live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms 
and decongest your nose so you can finally breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine is the best decongestant available. It relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I absolutely love it. It is the only allergy medicine that works for me. So if you're ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just one quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Hey all, it is Joanne and Bree here and we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. One of the quotes that I read in your book, Fear Self-Compassion, that really stuck with me is caring for ourselves is actually the energy source powering our ability to help others. So can you tell us a little bit more about how self-compassion does this? And I I loved your story about being in the airplane with your four-year-old. Can you share that? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny. Some people think we only have five units of compassion. So if I give three to myself, I'm only going to have two left over for anyone else. It doesn't work that way. The more compassion and kindness and uh, love flows inward, the more we have available to give to others and to sustain giving without burning out. And so with parents, it's so important that it's important on a couple of different levels. So one level is certainly just, it's just energetic. When you are exhausted and you're fed up, when you give, when you put your hands on your heart and you say, oh, I'm so sorry. It's so hard for you. I'm here for you. I care. What do you need right now? You're actually replenishing your batteries. You're resourcing yourself that allows you then to go in to take care for your kids and do what they need to do. If you're just frustrated or if you do this, all my energy has to be spent on my kids. You're going to have nothing left over to give. It's like True. breathing. You have to mm-hmm. breathe in yeah. and out. Otherwise, you're going to die. Same mm-hmm. thing with yes. compassion. You got to have in and out. And then the other way it works, and this is where the story comes in, is through our mirror neurons. So the human brain, are, we're designed, our brains are designed to resonate with each other. And especially with parents mm-hmm. and children, we're very emotionally connected to each other. So just as your kids' moods impact you, you know this, your moods impact your kids. And so when you are being self-compassionate, 
your children are actually resonating with your compassionate mindset, your loving, connected presence, which is one way to talk about the three components of self-compassion. If you're irritated, if you're frustrated, if you're burned out, if you're numb inside, that's what your kids are resonating with. And so my son is actually, he's autistic. And by the way, some people say autistic kids don't have a lot of empathy. It's totally false. They're really resonant with others. That's why they pull back. They have difficulties perspective taking cognitively, but my son and I were very, very attuned. And so I would regulate his emotions by regulating my own emotions, right? And so one time it was actually, we were on a plane, we were flying flying to Europe. It was a transatlantic flight. And they turned the lights off in the plane. And because he was very, had a lot of sensory issues, like triggered a tantrum, full on screaming, flailing tantrum. You know, and I felt like, oh my God, all these, all these other people are judging me. It's like, there's a tantrum. And there are sometimes his old, also, I think it was actually five at the time. He was, he sh- people think uh, he should be over that. He didn't realize people they couldn't tell he was autistic. They didn't have that self-compassion. And, and so I couldn't reach him, right? And so I took him to oh. the bathroom thinking I'd let him have his tantrum in there. It didn't help, but it was occupied. Mm-hmm. So I gave myself compassion. I just like put my hands on my heart. I said, this is so hard, Kristen. You feel out of control. This is so, I'm here for you. I'm mainly focused on myself. I, I was able to calm myself down yeah. and then mm-hmm. he could calm down because he was resonating with me. That co-regulation, co-regulation. right? And, and, you, and then, then, then once um, he calmed down a little bit, I could, I could do more directly soothing of him. So, you know, yeah. what you cultivate inside is what your kids interact with. It is not separate. You know? So that's one way. And then also modeling. If you model self-compassion out loud, it's mm-hmm. the best gift you can give your kids. They will grow up knowing that um, it's okay to make mistakes, A, but you don't leave it there and learn from them, right? When we say yes. failure is our best teacher, that is true. You make a mistake. Well, it's okay. Everyone makes mistakes. Hmm, that's interesting. What 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 could I learn? You know, how, how might I do better but next time? If you model that, that's the, such a gift to your kids. If you say, oh, I'm such an yeah. idiot in front of your kids because you don't want them to judge you. What they're really learning is, oh, that's what you're supposed to say. I'm such an idiot when you make a mistake. Yes, yes. That's something we say here at No Guilt Mom. We say we turn, we help you go from martyr to model because it's yes. all about what you present. It's not about what you tell your kids. They see exactly, exactly. what you right. do. But it's not only out loud modeling. It's also, that's the thing about mirror neurons is mm-hmm. also your present. Mm-hmm. You know, if people pick up, it's, it's not woo-woo, like we feeling someone's no, vibes. No, it's not woo-woo. It's the way the brain works, we feel each other's vibes. So cultivating an internal, warm, loving mindset is going to be so helpful to your kids. They're going to, they're going to feel safer around you and feel more calm as well. Yeah, because kids can definitely notice if you're Absolutely. really nervous, really anxious. I... Knowing this lately with my kids, what I've been doing is that if I do feel nervous or anxious, I'll go around and I'll model my self-compassion. I'll be like, I am really hurting right now. I am very nervous about this. I'm going to take a deep breath. Okay. Lots of other people are nervous like this, just like me, if they were in the same situation. And my kids look at me and they're like, okay, mom. But I know they're picking it up. They are definitely picking it up. up. And now my son totally practices self-compassion. It got through that phase of don't give that to me, mommy. Now he knows it works. So he also developed anxiety disorder as he got older. So it really helps him deal with it. It helps a lot. 
Now yeah. you have, you talk about two different types of self-compassion, tender self-compassion and fierce self-compassion. Can you tell us the difference between the two? Yeah. Yeah. So the two different faces that's really important because people get confused. So one face is yeah. tender acceptance and that's, we accept ourselves and our emotions unconditionally. In mm-hmm. other words, we're flawed human beings. We make mistakes. Our emotions arise. We, they hurt. And we just have to accept the fact that that's the way it is. We can bring warmth. And that's kind of more of a nurturing, maybe a gentle mothering quality, you might say. But there's also what I like to call mama bear self-compassion or fierce self-compassion. This is aimed more at changing behaviors or situations. It's not compassionate to accept behaviors that are harmful to ourselves or others. And it's not compassionate mm-hmm. to accept situations that are harmful to ourselves or others. And so that's where we need to change. That's where we need to take action. So it may mean drawing boundaries, saying no, protecting ourselves, speaking up. It might mean taking time to meet your own needs or also, again, motivating change. And so as a parent, we know we need both. We love our kids unconditionally, but that doesn't mean we spoil them. It doesn't mean we don't try to motivate them. It doesn't mean we don't do what we can to help them achieve their goals in life. And also, we also need to draw some boundaries with our kids. Yes. Yes. I think that's a, that's a huge, huge thing, right? So many moms, I feel like we think that unconditional love means that we are always going to be last. I just over the weekend, you had a really good Instagram where you were, there was a, a poem. That you oh, shared I took with a part of poem. Like, it's not my turn. It was that like, his mom was like, it's not my turn to, to do have what my I want to do. Needs. It's like, not my turn to do what I want right? to do, but it's my turn to make family memories. It's my, I'm like, no. Yeah, <laughs> and this yeah. is exactly what you're talking about, Dr. Neff, right? That is not exactly. okay. That is where it has, you're going to be, you're going to burn out. And it's yin and yang. It's, you need both. If you're yeah. too about acceptance and don't draw boundaries or don't speak up, you can be complacent and you will burn out, right? Yes. On the other hand, if it's too much about my way or the highway, or you better, I'm going to motivate you to get that great. Or, and if you don't, I'm not going to love you, you know, yeah, to no. ourselves or others. That's not okay either. We need both. Yeah. But you can hold them together yeah. because the acceptance is more about ourselves as people or as kids as people. We love them unconditionally. And the change or the action is more about behaviors or situations. So they actually can go together. They need to go together. One without the other is incomplete. They do. And in for self-compassion, you talk a lot about how it shows up in adult relationships as well, particularly in heterosexual relationships. And I love the story about the woman who gave up her interior design job to take care of the baby and everything because she had all this pressure from her parents and pressure from her husband. Can you tell us about that and how she used self-compassion? We'll be right back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. 
I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Here's the thing is that gender role socialization plays into this. I'm not talking about gender identity. If you identify as male, female, non-binary, I'm talking about mm-hmm. the shoebox you were put in when you were growing up, right? Yes. Kids who are raised as boys, first of all, this it's, so they're allowed to be fierce. They're allowed to take action. They're supposed to take action to be fierce and be brave. But if they're too tender, they're too sensitive, they're too accepting, they get bullied. And this mm-hmm. harms our boys because this actually reduces their emotional intelligence. Girls, on the other hand, you know, there's a little more genderable flexibility, especially when they're young. But when you get older, yeah, you're allowed to be tender, especially towards others. But if you're if you meet your own needs, then oh you're my gosh, child, stand right? back, yeah, you're selfish, yeah. <laughs> get out, That's right. lost your woman card, exactly. <laughs> and because we love self-sacrificing women. And think about taking action. She's she's so ambitious. Mm-hmm. Think about Hillary Clinton, Kamala. They're so ambitious. You would never say that about a man. So no. when, if, you, if a woman takes, the, we aren't allowed to be fierce, basically. And we really don't like angry women or women that speak up. And that, that leads to things like, why are women paid less? Because first of all, not only they socialize not to negotiate, we don't like a woman who asks for what she deserves because she's not feminine. So gender role socialization. Can I just throw in a hallelujah? Yeah, it's just I'm a, sorry. Hallelujah. But, hallelujah. And here's man. the thing is that it harms everyone. It, you know, it harms it does. men and women in different ways, but it also harms men. Every single person should be allowed to express their authentic, fierce and tender side in the way that's right for them. The society doesn't really allow it. Mm-hmm. And, and then for parents raising your kids, it's really useful to think about. Are you socializing your your boys to think they shouldn't be tender? They shouldn't accept things? That's going to harm them emotionally. Are you socializing right. the, the girls that shouldn't be like talk up, speak up too much or you know be too active? Be too bossy. Be too that bossy. That was when I got a lot. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But really, it, it's about balance. It's about yin and yang. And the research shows that people who can integrate both energies do better. Yeah. And <laughs> the job interviews... I was so mad reading these chapters, not at you, but at the situation of society yep. in general, because and it's still the case. It's, it's still the case. It's still the case. And just saying, yeah. like, how even from so jobs, yeah. a female candidate and a male candidate, completely similar things. They just had a female name and a male name. 
And how to balance that in the job interview. Basically, if you go in and tell your accomplishments, Brie, in the job interview, if you're a woman, you also need to say how you want to help people around the office. And that's how you're going to balance the scales between the male candidate who just Because otherwise, like, oh, she's kind of stuck up or narcissistic. You would never say, yeah, it still occurs. I know, so mad. I know, it is. I'm thinking in all the times that I was a a hiring manager, I don't don't think I, and everyone has it too. Yeah. Women do it to other women even more than men. Mm-hmm. It's unconscious. It's this, do I like them or not? Which is kind of vague. A lot of it is, are they fitting my unconscious gender role stereotypes? Wow. I see it in mom shaming too. And it's that implicit bias coming out. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. So, so a, man, a man who just like does anything for his kids. Oh, he's such a great dad. <laughs> Whereas a mother has to do like, you know, cartwheels and we, earn money. We and were, just, yeah, it's totally, totally different. We were just, oh my gosh, I just had this conversation uh-huh. yesterday. We were at the grocery store and I'm I'm in the bathroom and this mom is in there, God help her with her toddler or preschooler. And I hear her be like, listen, I understand you don't want to go potty, but we're here right now. So let's just try. And then the toddler is, no, no. You hear the toddler smack the yeah, mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And then you get the screaming, so loud screaming, like, Echoing in the bathroom. I, I was like, all right, well, I was already on my way out and standing there wasn't going to help her. And so I was just like, hang in there, mama. And I walk out and there's dad sitting on the bench playing on his phone. It's not his fault, but it definitely brought up a conversation with my husband about how if that had happened in the bathroom with a dad, anybody would have been like, oh, he's trying his best. But and with a mom, there was a good chance somebody would be like, well, she's not doing yeah, a very exactly. good job. Just listen to that kid screaming. Yeah. Yeah, we really need to be conscious of gender because it does influence not only yeah. for ourselves, but also what we transmit to our kids. Yeah, That's it does. One of my workshops, right, even though my research shows that self-compassion is by far one of the most powerful sources of coping and resilience. So you have combat soldiers who are more self-compassionate. They were less likely to suffer from PTSD, for instance. And yet 85% of the people oh, that wow. come to my workshops are, are women. Because compassion's a female thing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame. It's a tragedy. And it's still happening. But yeah. we're, we're the ones who can change it with the next generation. So Yeah. And I'm hopeful too. My son, he is 10. And he and his friends actually talk about their thoughts. And my son is in therapy because I put him in therapy after COVID, after seeing nice. some things. Uh-huh. He and his friends, all they all have therapists. And they talk That's- about their therapists. And I'm like, thank right. you, Generation Alpha. Yes. You are going to save us all. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. It's so important. I love that. It's going to be great. Well, what do you have coming up for you, Dr. Dr. Nash, that you're really excited about? I'm actually right now working on with my, my colleague, Chris Germer, who we developed something called the Mindful Self-Compassion Program. If you want self-compassion training, you can take that. But right now we're working on a book for burnout, actually. It's going to be Ooh. self-compassion emergency toolkit for burnout. And the reason it's kind of slow is I started it because I was feeling so burnt out. So it's, <laughs> it wasn't the best timing, but, but we're doing it slow but steady. That should be coming yeah. out next year. Well, yeah, that's fantastic. So, so that's exciting. And, you know, just building a community around pe- people practicing self-compassion um, through my website. So it's it's uh, it's really becoming a movement, a self-compassion yes. movement. And that's just so lovely to see. And it needs yeah. to be. It needs to, it be. Needs to be. Well, thank you so much yeah. for joining us here. I've yes. loved talking to you and I can't wait to read your next book. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. 
So I have to say that self-compassion has really come in handy this past weekend because here at No Guilt Mom, we have a big project going on and it's causing just a lot of stress just because you put so much work into something and then you put something out in the world and you're worried about how it's going it's to your baby. become per- like, yeah, exactly. And it's, with it's all our the- baby. It's our baby. Yes. And because of the bigness of this, I've made a quite a few mistakes <laughs> through the past few weeks. I admittedly, I sent an email to our community with it was four days early. And then I had to send an oops, I'm sorry email. I've messed up stuff on sales pages. And I'm just stating this because after each of those mess ups, I have two ways I could have gone. I could have been, oh my God, I suck. Why haven't I been more careful? And that's something that I would have gone down in the past, really gone into mm-hmm. this part of self-shame. But instead I was like, oh my gosh, you're dealing with so much right now, Joanne. This hurts you to make these mistakes. So many other people make these mistakes around you. Let's go comfort yourself. Let's give yourself a hug. It is okay. And let's keep going. Okay. It has made all the difference, all the it difference has. in the world. And we resonate that in our team because we have a small mm-hmm. team here at No Guilt Mom. It's two and a half, soon to be three, two and a half yeah. though right now of us. <laughs> but I, but one thing you were doing that if people aren't, aren't seeing a video, you put your hand over your chest when you're oh, like, yep, your, yeah, over your heart when you're like, I'm, I am struggling and I am hurting. It's, there's a lot going on. And I think that that touch is a huge factor because I know that again, we talked about at the beginning of this episode that I struggle with not having the best self-talk, not a lot of self-compassion for myself for various reasons. But I do find that that touch is what can help stop that. And like, okay, it, it helps you kind of refocus to that and really hear the words and feel them. So if you're hearing this and you're like, yeah, I've tried self-talk, that noise help. I'm not always very, I, I feel silly doing it. Try that touch. I really think that that's super helpful. And also I need to bring up something else here because I've known about self-compassion for the past two years, I think. It was when I checked out the book Self-Compassion at the library and I started reading it and I'm like, this is amazing. Where has Um, this been all my life? (laughs) That I started using it, but it never connected. We talk a lot about the football player you have who's used to playing all the games. Your football player is your negative self-talk. And that quarterback is so strong that when you look at this little bench warmer who hasn't played so much, that's your self-compassion, your positivity, the football player easily like mows it down. And it almost feels disingenuous to yourself when you start using the self-compassion because your brain wants to fight it. This part of your brain that has been negative self-talk for so long, it wants uh-huh. to fight it real hard, real hard. And I was never winning against it um, until I got diagnosed with severe anxiety and I started getting treated for severe anxiety. And then all of a sudden, when I use self-compassion, I'm able to quiet that football player down and really strengthen the bench warmer. So if for you, you've used it for a while, after this podcast, think down the road. If you use it for a while and it's really not look working, I highly suggest you go to a medical professional and get evaluated because it has made so much of a difference in my life, being on the right treatment plan for anxiety and using the self-compassion. It's a, it's a good duo. It's, it's a, a good, it's a good duo. Team. Yes, mm. exactly. Mm. So <laughs> remember the best mom is a happy mom. Take care of you. And we'll talk to you later. Thanks for stopping by. 
If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.